Hi everyone, it's great to be back with you again and um, we've got a real treat in store today because I'm talking to um, Dr. Ben Brown who's a naturopathic doctor uh, originally trained in Australia but now resides um, over here for, for us in the UK which we are very grateful for. So Ben is the founder and director of the Nutritional Medicine Institute um, it's an educational and advocacy and research group that's really committed to advancing the science and practice of nutritional medicine. Um, he's also an inter internationally acclaimed lecturer. He's the host of the Positive Health podcast, and he's also on the academic advisory board and guest lecturer of the British College of Nutrition and Health. He also speaks at major conferences um, all around the world. So some of you may have been lucky enough to see him. But I've asked Ben to come and talk to us today because he is such a great communicator and we are looking at the immune system today. Um, not one of the easiest systems to get your head around and I just really wanted Ben to help us distill this into the simplest form so that we can really have some practical um, practical things at our disposal for how we can affect and strengthen our own immune resilience going forward. I mean, we over here in the in the northern hemisphere, we're facing um, <clears throat> autumn and winter on the doorstep. And, um, you know, our immune resilience is going to be a really important factor. So Ben, hi, have I left anything out in your background? No, it's wonderful. It's a really kind introduction. And, you know, I'm excited to, to just uh, talk through this with you. It's a really pertinent and important topic for everyone you know the the pandemic's not going away it's going to cycle seasonally by the looks of it and you know understanding a bit about our own immune systems and how to increase resilience is really important that's great well you know out of all the body systems i understand why the immune system is the most difficult because it's the one that you can't really see um you can't quantify and it's got this almost existential effect that's happening in the background, isn't it? So can you give us a bit more information? Can you can you put it on the page for us? Yeah, yeah. It's um in, in fact you've probably got a better idea than me with your background in psychoneuroimmunology, <laughs> but um I think you're absolutely right as and I think coming from you as someone who's studied this in, intimately is is that it's wildly complicated. It's really difficult to get a handle on and um, the immune system is is really, really complex, but there are some take-homes that I think in terms of our understanding that are really fundamental, simple, and, and can help inform us and, and sort of educate us on how it works and, and also how um, we're, often when we're talking about the immune system, we're not talking just about the immune system because it's attached to everything else. And, you know, that's that sort of wider view of our biology as being not just compartmentalized systems but an interconnected web of, of different things and so we can kind of get into that but but really broadly like and quite simply your immune system has evolved to protect you against infection and injury like that's its fundamental purpose and um arguably it's it's the most important system in our body from a from an evolutionary perspective. In fact, it's been argued by some evolutionary biologists that the whole purpose of our existence is to out, out evade viruses and bacteria. It's like, a, it's like an evolutionary arms race. And, you know, when you see complexity at, at, you know, in, in our biological systems, it usually means that 
is really, really important if something's very complex and the immune system is, is extremely uh, complex, but it, we can distill it down into like a few basic functions. And the first is like innate immunity and the second is acquired and innate's really simple. It's the part of your immune system that just kicks into gear with no prior knowledge of what's happening and helps you fight an infection or injury. And then the acquired aspect of your immunity is, is the one that's learned a response. So it's seen a pathogen or a problem before, and it has some memory and it can then mount a response based on, on that memory. So the innate and acquired are, are really important sort of fundamental aspects of our immune system. And then another thing that's really important is, is this sort of background concept of, of inflammation. And that, plays an important role in determining your resilience to disease and including infection is your propensity for inflammation. And, you know, unfortunately, this is often associated with a higher level of inflammation is associated with chronic disease. So, you know, this is part of the reason why we're seeing such high susceptibility to um, um, more severe outcomes of infection in people with things like diabetes and heart disease and obesity. So because they're all associated with immune dysfunction and, and inflammation. And then I guess the other big thing that is really important in terms of our understanding beyond innate and acquired and this inflammatory sort of background inflammatory response is the fact that our immune system is, is not an isolated system. It's interconnected with other aspects of our function and biology. So, you know, a classic example of that is our nervous system, you know, and that is psychoneuroimmunology. It's this understanding that our nervous system and our immune system are constantly talking to each other and they actually share a lot of similarities. Like you can make immune cells in your central nervous system from the same, you know, from a different system and tissue. So they're arguably they're kind of the same thing and they're interconnected and the same is true of things like your gastrointestinal system. You know, a lot of immune cells sit within the gastrointestinal system and interact with gut bacteria and digestion. And, and that can influence your systemic, meaning your whole body immunity. And, you know, same is true of metabolic health, like things like insulin um, regulation and, and your cardiovascular system also determine the function of your immune system or interconnected. So, you know, that's, a bit of a, a download, but it's really simply pointing out there's different aspects, innate, acquired inflammation and, and this sort of systems view that we need to take into account when we're understanding our immune system. That's really perfect. Thank you. And, you know, coming away from that complexity, the, the, the overarching, um, the overarching meaning for me in the immune system is that it's seen us through evolution to where we are and the fact that the species has survived means that we have something that is exquisitely intelligent that is enabling us to move through all the changes we've seen in our world from our hunter-gatherer days to where we are in this highly so-called civilized but industrialized um, world that we live in now digitized you know technological world and our immune systems are still functioning and so I would really like to convey to our listeners that um, your immune system deserves some trust and um, you really need to understand that we're still here. And now what Ben and I would like to do is tease out some of these exquisite connections with nature because we, 
we didn't have access to the things that we have access to now um, through evolution. And yet we have still managed to uh, teach our immune systems and acquire more immunity, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If we, you know, if we, if we didn't have, you know, a complicated, exquisite defense mechanism against pathogens that we wouldn't have lasted 3 million years or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, it's a really intrinsic part of our survival. And, and, um, I, you know, I agree, I think, you know, in light of the, what's going on in the world today is our immune system needs to be given a bit more credit and brought to the fore. And, and also we need to better understand what supports a healthy immune system. And this is one of the things that's really come to the forefront recently is that there are modifiable things that we can do within our control that influence our resilience to infection. And I think the simplicity of that idea cannot be understated or, or over exaggerated because it's, it's absolutely crucial to, you know, understanding our, our resilience to, to um, potentially life-threatening disease. So, you know, the big question is then, well, what's modifiable and what can we do something about? And, and is there a hierarchy to it, do you think? Is there a priority system? That's a good question, actually. I've never thought of it as a, as a series of priorities. Like, it, I guess there, there probably is, but how do, you, how do you rank that? I'm not sure. I, I just sort of think of things in a bit of a web-like fashion. So it's like they're all important. Um, it, in equal well, let's, well, well, let's build the web, you know. So, <laughs> and because actually for, pe for different people, um, they're actually going to need to pull on their priorities are going to be different, a different aspect of the web. So, I, I, I mean, I, I, really, I really love that. Um, so let's go for it, Ben. What are, what are we going to put first on the web? Yeah, well, let's let's start with nutrition because that's kind of my area um, of, yeah. of expertise, and then I guess you know we can get into things like metabolic health and lifestyle medicine, and you know aspects around that. But you, the whole nutrition area in terms of determining resistance to to infection is is quite well established, and you know we've got a lot of um, more recent data coming out that's quite relevant to what's going on now, but Basically, the the background of this is is that your immune system and your and and nutrients are, are the same thing. Like, and I've often said, you know, before this was all going on, is is that basically you you eat your immune system. Like, it, it your food is like an extrinsic part of your immune biology that you you know incorporating into your body that determines your resilience to infection. So, you know the well, what do we know about that then is, is basically that a lot of immunological function is dependent on an adequate supply of, of nutrients. And what's really clear is that people who are at risk of um, inadequate supply or nutrient deficiencies or poor diets or, you know, there are other reasons um, are, are at increased risk for uh, infectious disease. I mean, this is really clear um in this in the scientific literature for many different illnesses there are some nutrients that stand out more than others but um, broadly speaking we can relate this back to general nutrition and diet and and um unfortunately um the you know the study of infectious respiratory diseases has been quite neglected for many years because it's 
sort of been relegated to, you know, affecting mostly older age individuals. We don't really talk about it much, you know, things like heart disease and diabetes got a lot, have had a lot more attention, but, you know, it's a, it's a huge cause of mortality and, and morbidity. Um, so we are lacking a bit of research in this area related to nutrition, but there is a, a bit, and we can certainly see um, that things like a more healthful dietary pattern, like a Mediterranean style diet, for example, um, have been studied and do seem to um, decrease um, the incidence of infection. So for example, there was a brilliant study that was done in a in just a group of children looking at the incidence of respiratory tract infections after they were instructed in eating a healthier diet. And it cut their risk of um, respiratory tract infections by about half. And that was with a just a simple Mediterranean style dietary intervention. And you know, cut their antibiotic use by about 60%. So then based on this sort of thing, more recently, people have asked, well, would that sort of dietary pattern um, help, you know, against SARS-CoV-2 or what, you know, coronavirus and, or COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. And, and basically it seems that it might, there was a group in Italy that looked at um, the, um, association. So this is not an intervention study. It's just saying, well, asking a question really, do people who eat more healthfully have increased resistance to infection? And it seems that they do. So in this in, in Italian cohort, this was published in the journal Nutrients earlier this year, they basically found that people who reported eating a more traditional, more Mediterranean style diet, you know, olive oil, loads of fruits and veg, you know, all the good stuff, um, basically had a much lower incidence of confirmed um, illness from, you know, COVID-19 versus versus control. So I'm not saying you can eat your way out of it, but it looks like it's really important as a, as a factor that could determine resistance or resilience to infection. And adding to that evidence, we also have um, studies on multivitamins. So they're obviously supplements, but the way I look at multivitamin studies is like, we could have done that with food, um, but it's sometimes easier from a research or even clinical perspective just to give someone a multivitamin to correct multiple nutrient deficiencies. So for me, it has lessons in, in diet, but it was a study in, in, in multivitamins. And there have been several reports looking at the ability of multivitamins to reduce the incidence of infectious disease. And, and they seem to do the same thing, especially in older age people especially when they're taken for a long period of time and especially in people at high risk of multiple uh, nutritional deficiencies. So I guess where all this points to is, is that like food is essential and the nutrients it contains are essential for a healthy functioning immune system. And it seems that we have these sort of lines of evidence to show that actually doing something about it and eating health more healthfully um, can have a significant impact on, on your resistance to infection. Um, uh, absolutely, because I mean, even if we're not looking at um, just respiratory illnesses, we know that the immune system is dependent on being fed by nutrients and that nutrients are also cofactors in many um, of the cascade, the whole immune cascade has all of those. And so, um, you know, the Mediterranean diet has something um, that others, not every diet has, and that's 
eating a rainbow. It's it's having all those colours. So I think, you know, the, the colours deliver secondary plant metabolites as well. These plant chemicals are really important for immune function. And obviously you've got high healthy fats. Um, you've got very fresh um, proteins if you're eating animal proteins. Um, and you don't have a lot of junk food. So we're back to minimally processed or unprocessed whole food, lots of colour, high healthy fats, you know, good quality protein. And you've suddenly got a diet of origin as well. If we're looking back towards our evolutionary times, you know, that is what nature um, delivered to us. We were eating, um, you know, lots of leafy greens. Um, we had colour when we had colour. And I think, again, you know, the clue is always what did nature give us? What was available before? Because that's what our immune systems have developed on and learned on, um, you know, on a, on a genetic blueprint kind of basis. So, OK, we're taking our web nutrition, what you can eat. That is completely under everyone's control. And it's also why people like us have just been wanting to scream because you've just mentioned some incredible studies. Why has there been no top-down messaging while people have been sitting at home in lockdown about what to do with their diet? I don't know, but I think it's a tragedy that it hasn't happened and I, I can't explain it. Um, you know, I, I spend most of my time reading research and there's an abundance of it and much more related specifically to COVID-19 since this happened, really um, pointing out that some key nutrients in particular are really important for reducing risk. Do we hear about that research? Hell no. And and I think it's a, it's a real crime against humanity that this research isn't being translated into public health messages. Why, you know, your guess is better than mine, but, um, you know, it, it feels quite sinister and it, and, and I, I just think it's a huge disservice to, to humanity and we've probably lost a lot of life because of it. So, you know, it's hopefully it comes out of the woodwork and, and, and gets more attention with time. But, you know, I was, I was quite optimistic at the start of all of this, that that message would have shone through, but it, it, it hasn't really, um, which, no. is, which is very sad. <clears throat> And I think that's the other message as well, is that our immune system um, <clears throat> is very high tech, but it doesn't need tech. You know, what, what, when, we, when we go through this web, what we're going to look at is that, you know, when the things that we put together that are within our control are actually what we need for a really resilient, well-functioning immune system. Um, and it's not rocket science. So that's great. What's our, what's our next um, stop on the web? <laughs> we can we can run through um i guess while we're on the theme of nutrition we could run through a couple of like individual micronutrients if you want um, that, that would be that would be useful to do that now can i just say that you know there's a there's often um skepticism or a bad press around supplements but you know the the european definition of a food supplement is actually very helpful because it is just a concentrated source of nutrients in dose form it is food in a dose form and sometimes when you want a lot of a nutrient from a food and you can't eat that amount in the food it's very useful to just take it in a supplement form yeah absolutely and i you know i you know i would emphasize too that um I've always food first. Um, I do have a bias because I've worked in the supplement industry for years, but 
I, I hope that doesn't cloud better judgment that it's at the bottom line is it's all about, you know, food. And, um, but I, I agree with you. I think really what we're talking about here is just a concentrated source of nutrients from food generally. And they do have a place even on the background of healthy diets. I think that's fairly clear for not only correcting deficiencies, but also for um, optimizing intake beyond what's achievable with food. And, you know, this is, you know, something that, you know, I wanted to mention, you mentioned earlier, this sort of background evolutionary intake of, of plant foods. And while you were articulating that, it reminded me of the work of Linus Pauling, the two-time Nobel Prize laureate, who was somewhat controversial because of his work with supplements. And um, he wrote some brilliant papers um, based on evolutionary theory around optimal nutrient intakes. And his work on vitamin C is perhaps most infamous, but he um, predicted based on historical sort of pre-agricultural intakes of, of food um, that our vitamin C intakes are, you know, in the order of magnitude of several grams, which is just unachievable with the food that we eat today, but would have been fine for a hunter-gatherer. Um, they would have not even thought about it, obviously, um, but they, they had this sort of natural exposure. And I think for me, that's always a great example of, you know, where and why sometimes these, these things, are, you know, are useful um, for, for optimizing intake beyond what we could even achieve with food. And when, you, when you look at the fact that vitamin C is absolutely critical for um, its antiviral function, you understand why nature delivered it in that in that those levels, um, and you know viruses. Then you know you can wipe out a number of viruses um, by by just taking vitamin C every day. Yeah. So one of the um, what I was suggesting last year is something that Dr. Sarah Michael in the UK had um, had uh, advocated for, and that is just putting you know five grams of vitamin C in a liter and a half of water and drinking it through the day. And if you and if you want to take a bit extra, if you were unwell, you could obviously top that up. But just to keep your background level up, um, you know, just revs up your immune system a little bit. Yeah, absolutely, and it, and it is like that. And from a from a historical perspective, you know, the humans have evolved not to produce vitamin C because we used to eat so much, right? And, you know, now we don't. Scurvy is fairly rare, which is a severe, you know, deficiency disease, but suboptimal intakes are not. Um, so in high-risk groups like smokers, diabetics, depressed patients, people in hospitals, older age groups, like the sort of arguable level of um, deficiency in these groups um, is around 30 to 40% of these populations. So it's it's just kind of, you know, we need to be thinking about nutrients a bit differently. And this old sort of argument that you can get everything you need from food is is just really old and boring. And, and we need to move on from it. Oh, we do. Um, Patrick Holford's whole um, vitamin C for COVID campaign um, actually sprung out last year, the fact that the US uh, doctors that he was that he was liaising with in the ICUs over in um, in in America, were were testing, and they were finding that the, the really serious cases in the ICUs were down at scurvy levels of vitamin C, and you know for something that is so simple to just be, I mean it's cheap as chips, isn't it, to get vitamin C um, as a supplement? So I would urge everyone, um, it should be part of your um, 
your, you know, your medicine cabinet, but also just your kitchen cupboards, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think the work that Patrick's done is um, excellent and, and brave. Um, his, his seminal paper in the journal Nutrients really collaborated with some of the best scientists globally in this field, including Anita Carr, and it's really impressive. And, um, you know, the work they're doing to, to sort of bring this to the fore and to people's attention is really important. But it's, yeah, I think the take home is really simple as it's cheap, it's safe. Linus Pauling was onto something, um, you yeah. know, definitely is important for um, immunological defense. And we know, although the effects are modest in things like colds and flu, it does reduce uh, risk of infection. This is really clear. I mean, there are systematic reviews proving this, um, but it probably better for certain subsets of the population than others, i.e. people who are deficient. And it does also have um, benefits of, you know, things like complications of, of um, lower respiratory tract infections like pneumonia. Um, so it's, you know, it is, it is really important and, um, yeah, and, and just so simple and, and cheap and safe. It's, you know. It's great. I think, um, you know, people are often looking for the sexy new magic bullets, aren't they? But um, we're talking about our immune systems here. And um, they've evolved over a very long time. So while we look at nutrients, um, what, what are your other top sort of immune nutrients that um, are kind of safe, effective, that we know, you know, drive better function? Yeah, it's a, I think the way you put it's really great is, is that, you know, we're talking about fundamentals. And that's kind of often the way I look at things is I think about fundamentals first. You know, I know there are a lot of whiz-bang um, sort of immune boosting formulas and herbs and, and mushrooms and things like that. But I, I tend to think, well, what do we know about food? What do we know about essential vitamins and minerals first and start there? So with that in mind, I think there are a few things that really stand out in the literature as being important. Um, vitamin C or ascorbic acid is, is one of them. Um, and, and by the way, you can get a lot of ascorbic acid from food if you want. One of the best sources for listeners is kiwi fruit, which incidentally, um, there was a clinical study in older age people where they gave them four kiwi fruit a day over winter. And that resulted in a significant reduction in infections because it's chock full of vitamin C and, um, and, and they're full of lots of other good things as well. But <laughs> it's like, it's great vitamin C supplement, basically, and it tastes better than acid powder. Um, I'll ask you about that then. Um, do you recommend any of the other um, ascorbates to try and, I mean, do you think that there's an issue with ascorbic acid with a te teeth enamel or anything else? Is um, there? Personally, I don't. I, I don't think it matters too much what you take. Um, I think in general, just plain ascorbic acid is fine. If you're taking higher amounts of it, maybe get some buffered. Um, vitamin C, if you think it, you feel better taking that, but I, I don't think there's a big difference amongst sources. So I'm not, I don't really care too much. Um, there might be a slight advantage, um, to taking a liposomal vitamin C, but I'd say it's personally, I think it's fairly minimal and you can achieve similar things by just taking gram doses of, of plain mm -hmm. vitamin C. Um, and then. You know, obviously there's intravenous, but that's a whole different kettle of fish because the amount that's achieved 
systemically from intravenous um, is, is a bit different. But just talking about orally, I don't think the form matters too much personally. And a lot is made around better absorption and things, but I, I have not seen anything to suggest there's any significant difference amongst forms or whether you have bioflavonoids or whether it's natural or not. Interesting. Okay. I, I think I think it's worth just saying that vitamin C is um, uh, is is excreted. It's uh, it's you know it's just um, if you don't use it, if you don't need it, your body will just get rid of it. Um, so there's no um, there's no danger of overloading. And if you do hit what we practitioners call bowel tolerance, um, you will know when you've hit that. And um, and that is the only symptom you'll have is a slightly loose bowel, and you can back it off. But if you are unwell and you you are dealing with a virus, you will be able to take much more vitamin C because it will be in demand in your body, and bowel tolerance will be much further um, away than you than you would normally reach it. Yeah, that's that's right. It is it is very benign even at high doses. There's no real side effects. Um, apart from gastric upset in some people. So you're, you're right. So then um, if we were to join that with some of our, um, I guess we'd be looking at vitamin D, we'd be looking at zinc. Um, is there anything else that you would put into that sort of most basic essential nutrients? Yeah, I think I think they're really good places to start is, is basically from what I've seen emerge as, as really important is vitamin C, zinc, vitamin D, um, Omega-3 fatty acids, I would argue, are quite important as well. They seem to play a, a sort of key role in, in protecting um, people. And um, the other thing that's worthwhile mentioning is N-acetylcysteine um, as, a, as just a simple, low-cost um, way to, to sort of um, build immune resilience. Um, so that's just yeah. called NAC. And, uh, and obviously, if you are on the other side of the pond, you are now having a slight difficulty in obtaining NAC, or you may be very, may be very soon, but it is worth um, finding a, a source of that. I, I would love you to just tell us a little bit more because I, I think it's one of those incredibly special nutrients. Yeah, I, I love it. And in fact, a colleague of mine um, and I, published a paper in the journal Nutrients um, looking at glutathione metabolism um, and, and covering things like NAC, which is, you know, it's one of its most important roles biologically. But it's it's such an interesting nutrient. And I've always liked it clinically because it's so low cost and, and so useful. Um, it's one of its main uses is that it helps um, increase a substance in the body called glutathione so there's this sort of master um, compound that you want a lot of basically you don't want low glutathione but your body normally makes it it makes it partly from nac so all you're doing is giving your body the the foundation it needs to make the stuff and and glutathione um, has a lot of different functions but one of them is that it's a very potent antioxidant um, it also um, is a very important um, sort of antiviral, antimicrobial as well because of its relationship with the immune system. And it's also an excellent anti-inflammatory. It has all these really remarkable and important uh, beneficial functions. And, and what NAC does is, is sort of elevates that. So within a few days of taking NAC, your glutathione, especially if it's low, will, will increase to a more optimal level. 
And that has a whole host of different benefits um, in many different areas. But in the context of, of infection and the immune system, um, it's fairly clear it helps protect against infections. It reduces um, buildup of mucus um, as well. So it helps thin out um, excessive mucus if you have a respiratory tract infection, which is kind of handy. Um, and it also protects like your lung epithelial cells as well. We've known this for, for many years. And there's a bit of human clinical research on it as well. Um, so there are a few studies where they've um, investigated the ability of NAC to reduce um, the risk of in, infection in high-risk people. So in people with um, lung disease and in older age um, individuals. And what they've generally found in all the you know, little studies that have been done is that it offers really good protection. It seems to bolster your immunity. It significantly reduces risk of infection. Um, and um, yeah, it's just, it's just really, really useful. So that's kind of the background. And that's another one, isn't it? That, um, you know, we really want to drive a higher level and it's not so easy to get the levels that we need out of food. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, it is, it is quite, it would be quite difficult to to increase um, glutathione in the same way from food that you can from NAC, and certainly as quickly you can arguably do it, but it's um, it's a bit more complicated. Whereas this is just a very simple, um, quick way to boost your glutathione rapidly, um, and and it's pretty inexpensive and very very safe as well. There's no real risk of um, any side effects of NAC at the doses that. Um, are generally recommended. And I think I'm right in saying that there's evidence emerging now as well is that NAC may be very helpful and in stopping the spike protein from adhering and being able to cause um, as much damage as we were seeing last year. Yeah, it's possible. I'm, I'm not really familiar with that research, but it definitely, um, you know, elevated glutathione is, plays a really important role in protecting protecting against infection in general. So it's um, certainly would be at the top of my list of things to consider. And and prior to the pandemic, I had advised people just to use it as a prophylactic through winter anyway, because it's a very simple, easy thing to take, um, and um, you know, seems to protect high risk people against infection. So yeah definitely worthwhile and it i mean the cool thing with all of these nutrients is that you're supporting your own immune defenses right it's not that the nutrient has some miraculous properties it's supporting your immune system's own ability to do its job a, you know a bit better basically i i love that i'm i'm but i'm all for empowered self-care because i think that um health really begins at home and we have the ability to um, to make our bodies um, flourish and um, and work um, as the incredible organisms they're meant to, it's it shouldn't we shouldn't wait and have somebody dictate that to us when when it's broken down. We need to be creating health on a daily basis. Yeah, ab absolutely, and I think it's one of the things that you know, as we mentioned, has sadly been lost at the moment is is this idea that there's. A lot of modifiable risk factors for for viral infection and that we can be doing something about but unfortunately no one's really talking about this stuff you know nutrients and diet have been sidelined and you know the fact that most people you know who are dying from COVID-19 are high risk metabolically unhealthy people doesn't seem to be getting a lot of attention so what are we doing about type 2 diabetes 
and what are we doing about obesity as a public health preventative strategy you know for improving population resilience bloody nothing it's it's a bit tragic it's i think the thing is is that we've got to move away um i totally understand um, the body positive movement and you know I am someone who's been very ill in my life and as a result of my autoimmune disease I became morbidly obese so I have I really understand on a very very deep personal level um, it caused a nervous breakdown it was it was a, it was a really challenging time for me and then to have come back from that level of metabolic disturbance to have a body that is fully functioning again um, I I can only implore people to kind of engage with that because the the the, the process of becoming vitally healthy again is a, is a really good one. Um, and I just so I, I hope that we can take another step now and realize that this is not um, you know demeaning or discriminating or being nasty to people who are a fuller body, but it's actually about wanting them to have this experience of health that actually is better for mind and emotions and the way you feel and the way you function. And so, again, you know, that conversation, as you say, is not happening, but we've been, we've been handed on a plate. Um, you know, it's like, it's like someone on, on high is saying, look, you know, this has really got to be dealt with now. So we've taken nutrition. Nutrition is the basis of dealing with metabolic disturbance as well. Yeah. Uh, is, uh, we're not going to get into the whole that whole side of it today, but um, if we now move from nutrition and we start looking at some of these other things in the web that influence um, our immune system, the amazing thing as well, which is exquisite, is they also influence metabolism. So the two are, as you started off saying, are really entwined. Yeah. So where should we go next? Should we talk about stress and sleep? and mindfulness and relaxation or where do you yeah. want to go? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a... I, I don't want to leave without talking about the gut as well. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I think just putting that metabolic health thing to bed as we move into other lifestyle factors, I, you know, I just want to, you know, emphasize how important that is. And, you know, one of one of the tragedies at the moment is we we understood very early on in the pandemic that a, the people at risk were were diabetic hypertensive you know overweight etc and it just seems to not be really given much attention as as an important um you know factor related to resilience it's and i, and I think it's a great tragedy because many of these things as you mentioned they're they're difficult and they're complicated in the context of obesity but there is also, and I'm not saying we can wave a magic wand and, and cure these things, but there is hope in some cases that these things can be really managed well and, and sometimes reversed. And I mean, if you look at the work Dr. David Unwin's doing here in the UK, they've just reached 100 confirmed cases. It's just a single private practice um, in a, not even in, in a major city. Um, where they're treating patients with diet with type 2 diabetes and reversing it. So they've just reached 100 patients who are now off medication and diabetes and drug-free with food. It, and it's like, why aren't we rolling that out at a population level um, in every doctor's surgery in the clinic with a nutritional therapist? Or, you know, because it... Well, I think, 
I think we know the answer. I think the answer is going to hit some big companies in the pocket, really. If it... Yeah. Yeah. And it's just an acknowledgement. Yeah. There's yeah. so many things going on there, but it, it just seems to me like a massive waste op- wasted opportunity. I would love to know, like, what the, you know, change in, um, you know, susceptibility to infection is in that group. But there you go. But sort of moving on from metabolic health, you know, t- and taking it out into a bigger picture, which is all sort of part of the same web anyways, you, you mentioned a, a few things that are, you know, really important is, is this sort of um, bigger picture lifestyle medicine and environmental medicine perspective on, on the immune system. And, it, and it's definitely true that these things in our environment influence immune function. So sleep is a, is a great example. Um, exercise is another one so there is probably less for sleep that i'm aware of but certainly for exercise it's quite clear that advice and instruction for people to exercise more frequently increases their resilience to you know respiratory tract infections that's been known for some time there's also a psychosocial aspect as well um so there's some brilliant work done here by a group in the uk some years ago and and what they were looking at is things like, you know, how many friends people have and their social interconnectedness. And basically, the more interconnected people are, the less stressed they become, the more resistant to infections they become. You know, this is all, you know, it sounds a bit hippie trippy, but it it's all published research, you know. it's But it makes sense. We used to live in communities. Yeah, right. And we took care of our tribe, you know. We were, we were it, it took a village to raise children, you know. There was... Yeah. and your nervous system is your immune system so if you're stressed and socially isolated you're going to be immunosuppressed and not functioning as as well as you could be so it sort of it all makes sense when you start thinking about it logically like that and and then there's another big one that i know the the guy you and the team at a and h are into it's like nature therapy right so Time. <laughs> you know, it turns out that spending time in green space or nature or blue space or whatever you want to call it, there's all different you know, types of <laughs> space. Um, but basically being outdoors in nature has a profound effect on your immune system. Now, I don't know for sure if it's been shown clearly to reduce resistance to infection, but it definitely influences immune function. So, you know, things like nature therapy will lower inflammatory biomarkers and improve measures of immune function, resilience. Like this has been known for ages, you know, you just need to look at the work out of Japan on, you know, forest bathing and, you know, their studies are exquisite, like looking at how these, how time in nature influences immunity and function. They were really the seminal papers, but that's since been replicated all over the world. And I mean, it's, it's so topical because um, just last week we I, I talked to Gary Evans of the Forest Bathing Institute, and so we 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 put all that out. And um, cool. I, I I said at the time that um, Shinrin Yoku engaging in Shinrin Yoku sounds way more um, you know uh, enhancing than forest bathing, but it's the it's it's the same thing, and it does mean get outdoors. And if you can do your exercise outdoors you get all those benefits plus you know a lowering of your inflammation as well amazing yeah yeah absolutely it's um it's it's hugely important but again it's you know just overlooked it sounds too simple as you put it like you know our immune system doesn't need high-tech interventions you know some of the 
most effective things arguably are really low tech, simple, accessible things like food, nutrients, you know, social connection and time outdoors. Like it, and they sound too simple. You know, we need some sort of high technology drug or, or you know, medical discovery, but, but actually all of these things have, have a profound influence on immune function. They all influence immune resilience and, you know, that there's something we can all access right now. So, and then of course, you know, the, the list that you've just given us there, I'm sure everybody is thinking about the last 18 months and what we've had to do. We've been socially isolated. We've been nuking um, our microbiome with all of the anti-back products. We've been reducing our oxygen intake. Um, we've been breathing in too much carbon dioxide as a result. And um, we've been eating a load of the wrong foods. Um, we've been drinking far too much alcohol. Imagine if, imagine if the UK had been in the same boat as um, South Africa, where they um, stopped the sale of alcohol and cigarettes for the whole of the lockdown. Um, <laughs> just, it doesn't bear thinking about, but um, but all of those things together, and you just think you couldn't be more diametrically opposed to what our immune systems are actually asking for, could you? Yeah, that's right. It, you know, it's definitely a handicap, and I think it's really difficult for people right now to adopt some of the things we're talking about because we've been in this state for you know eighteen months or something, and. You know, you're, you're right, like a lot of these liberty, you know, liberties arguably have been taken away and these positive influences on our health. So it's, you know, it's pretty clear that, um, you know, this is this has had a negative impact and it can be, I think it can be extra challenging right now for people to sort of take back their health, but it's not impossible. And um, we were still allowed out. So, you know, that's the thing is that we, we were so lucky that we were still allowed out to exercise, but I just wonder how many people actually took the opportunity to to get out and do that every day. Um, Rob and I certainly did, um, but you know, just when you know the benefits, you kind of feel like you're gonna be destroyed if you're not having that every day. Yeah, absolutely. and I. You know, maybe that should have been the message. It shouldn't have been that you're allowed out a bit. It should be like you have to get out and and do something because it increases your resistance to infection. But no one was saying that, you know. And you know, you're right on the alcohol sales and the you know the and the you know poor quality food and you know it's um you know they should have been public health messages as well. But they they really haven't been part of the the narrative. So this. You know, this idea that there are other modifiable things that influence our resilience to infection has just sort of been lost. And, you know, what we're talking about it is that, but, it, um, you know, that message needs to get out. Mm. So before we close, I'd really love to just um, close on the note talking about the microbiome, because um, we understand so much more about the microbiome now, but even that is just, a, you know, a tiny scratch of the surface. But in terms of the microbiome and the immune system, I think that is still um, not, as, not as well understood. So we've talked about diet from the nutrient side of it, but you know, could you just give us a little bit on the microbiome and how that relates to the immune function? Yeah, I, I love this stuff. And, and you know, I wrote a book on digestive health and have published a little bit of work. And I, the more I understand about digestive health, the more I don't understand, basically. And I and I think that's where we're at with the microbiome. Is like anyone who says they understand it doesn't know what they're talking about. 
and and using it um sort of it's 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 really difficult so it's it's wildly complex but the one of the things we do know for sure is that it's inherently vital to have a healthy you know microbiome for a healthy immune system and the reason for that is really simple is that a large part of your immune system sits around your gastrointestinal tract whereas the majority of your microbes are they're not just there they're everywhere all over your skin right now which sounds a bit creepy but they're there and and all through <laughs> all through your gastrointestinal tract and um and they're interacting with your immune system all the time and they're they're absolutely vital for a healthy immune system. There was a great book title called The Epidemic of Absence. And basically it is pointing to this idea that, you know, where the, the sterilization generation, right? So we were the ones who were exposed to antibiotics and antimicrobials and germs are bad. And, you know, we've turned full circle on that now. We now know that a lot of germs are really good for us and these microbes in our gut are good for us, but it's kind of a little bit late we've probably resulted in a mass extinction of microbes um, because of the lifestyle and the exposures that we've had but you know what does what does that all mean at a practical level it basically means that healthy microbes in your gut are really important for a healthy immune system but then the big question is is well how do you encourage healthy microbes and you know when i first got into this field you know years ago the our thinking around it was so simplistic. It was like, take a probiotic, that'll fix everything and, and off you go. <laughs> but now it, we know that that doesn't even work. Like probiotics don't fix everything. In fact, they do almost nothing long-term to your, to your gut microbiome. It's much more complicated and it hangs on your environment and, and lifestyle. And where it's sort of getting now with the microbiome is almost like esoteric. Like I've heard microbes being referred to as universal consciousness because their memory that um, connects us to our environment because there's, there's interconnections of communication there and they carry that memory across generations long after we're gone. So it gets kind of weird, but um, from a practical level, what we understand now is that basically everything in your diet and environment influences your microbiological health. So, you know, forget this idea of probiotics, like they're great and they're really useful for some things, but they're not going to change your microbiome. You know, forget the idea of eating high fiber diets. Like that was so seventies, <laughs> it helps a little bit, but it doesn't do much for the overall picture and forget the idea of just food. Like food is, is important but it's not just about food it's about environmental exposures like this time in nature and connection with other people and even animals like if you own a dog you share microbes and that's a, probably a good thing <laughs> but we share microbes with people too yeah and, you right. know, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just it's cool to, it's fun to talk about that <clears throat> where it's all gone is is much bigger picture i think and if we just focus on the simple things for people like food basically everything you eat influences your microbiome it's not just fiber anymore not just probiotics not fermented foods that's absolutely everything like vitamins amino acids fatty acids phytonutrients like everything has a has a significant impact so it's all what does that mean then it means that the whole of your diet um, needs to be healthy and diverse because everything in that influences your microbiome so that's probably a big takeaway and the other thing is, is just a healthy 
you know, environment with good social connection and time outdoors and nature and, you know, time in the backyard or gardening, if you can, you know, these things coming in contact with microbes are really important as well. And this probably puts your immune system in really good stead. And, and that's kind of where we're at with the microbiome and, the, and a key take home, I think. And, and, and as Ben said earlier, us, we've got a very um, strong microbiome on our skin which is really important and there for very good reason. And so it is one of the reasons why I don't use any antibacterial products at all, because soap and water is absolutely fine. And, um, and I don't want to upset the microbiome on my skin. So I know that might be controversial for people, but, um, but honestly, do think about the actions that you're taking um, when you're asked constantly to be um, squirting yourself with, um, with antibacterial products. Um, and so, Ben, have you got any other final thoughts, top tips? Um, yeah, I think immune resilience. You no, know, I think I'd wrap up where we started, and and that is, you know, for me, one of the most important ideas to get across with this discussion is that there are modifiable risk factors for viral mm -hmm. illness. So there are things that influence us out our susceptibility to disease. You know, it's not viral illness is not just like this deadly miasma that indiscriminately affects everyone the same way. There are things that determine our resilience and there are things that we can do something about in most cases, you know, optimizing our nutrition, influencing our intake of micronutrients um, or optimizing it, looking at our metabolic health and considering, you know, better blood pressure management or diabetic control, et cetera. Um, and then lifestyle changes like exercise and time in nature and, and um, you know, um, grounding yourself in the importance of the mind-body connection and stress reduction and social connectedness and, you know, spiritual pursuits or what, whatever it is for you. And, you know, these things are, you know, almost, um, they just sound too simple. So I think the idea is like people are dismissing it, um, but it, they're incredibly important. And if, all you need to do is look at something like vitamin D as an example, like the effect of vitamin D on outcomes from severe illness. And it's, it's just striking. Like you can't mess with that. It's, it has a really potent disease risk modifying effect. And that's what we're really talking about here is a web of different things that are actionable that each of us could look at. They'll be different for everyone, as you mentioned, but they're important. And, uh, and I think that's the take home is that, you know, it's not just us versus the bug and it's not that simple that it's us and our environment and our lifestyle and those things influence this, you know, beautiful immune system we all own that, that then determines our resilience. That's wonderful. Absolutely. And my last two points that came to mind while you were talking is that um, is to not fear viruses. We have a virome as well within. We have viruses in our microbiome. Um, we've evolved with alongside them. And the other side is that it's also not to be frightened of illness because our immune system, the whole point of having a resilient immune system is that it can act when it needs to. So you may get sick. We, we, we've all grown up like that. We, we, we've had the flu, we've, you know, we've had colds, we've had coughs. Um, but the idea is that you have a resilient enough immune system that nukes the bad guys and allows you to bounce back again um, and return your health. So 
Ben, thank you so very much for your time. Um, in, um, in the article that's going to accompany this and in all the links below, we will point people towards your um, Positive Health podcast um, and, uh, and your website. And um, I'm presuming that your books are on your website or are they, are they somewhere else? Yeah, they, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we will put as many links as we can so that people can find you and can carry on with this. But incredibly grateful for your time today. Thank you so much. No, it's a pleasure. It's been a really good discussion. And, you know, thank you and, and, and the team at A&H for all the incredible work that you do. It's, you know, it's never been more important. And I'm just happy to be able to pitch in and, and help. Thanks.